This is a podcast by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series. The growing academic research base of eco-social work practice in Australia has been an important springboard in helping to diffuse eco-social work ideas and approaches into the mainstream here. My guest on this episode of the series, Dr Sylvia Ramsey, is very conversant with the world of applied social work research and has developed particular research interests in how eco-social work frameworks and perspectives can help shape and enhance mainstream social work intervention. In this episode, we talk about some of the formative ideas and values that have helped create Sylvia's perspective on the eco-social work turn across mainstream practice. So welcome, Sylvia. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Thanks so much for inviting me, Andrew. Well, look, as with other podcast episode interviews in this series, let's start the conversation with a fuller self-introduction from you. Perhaps give us some key waypoints in your professional journey to date and some ideas about how you developed your awareness of the importance of the influence of the physical environment within social work practice, one of the key ideas within an eco-social work framing. Um, Well, actually, I had an awareness of the importance of the natural environment prior to any understanding of social work practice. And I was quite surprised that it wasn't really recognised in social work. I suppose I'm always a bit bamboozled when I come across people who can separate themselves from the natural world. It's always been such an essential part of my life. Uh, My early years were spent on a farm where caring for animals and plants was part of my life. I was well aware of how we rely on nature. People around me are always talking about the ways natural processes impacted on them. There was the need to save water because of droughts. Um, there's frosts killing the tomato plants and um, sometimes there was too much rain and that would flood the road and and we'd get a day off school, which I quite liked. But uh, um, it just gave me a great awareness about the forces of nature. So I I recall coming to the awareness when I was about maybe seven um, that when places were developed, the outcome was often quite negative with like a lot of the trees being cut down and many animals being killed. So when I moved to the city to go to university, uh, I participated in environmental political action and protests to try and save natural spaces. However, I was quite shy at the time and I didn't feel comfortable or competent with the confrontational aspects of political action. So I know got my first proper paying adult job, uh, which was an administrative assistant um, at the ANU. I volunteered to be an environmental champion. And this was a role more involved about spreading information about how to reduce uh, electricity use and waste to landfill using kick cups and so on. 
um, there was an underlying assumption that if people just knew what to do, they would do it. Um, there was a great group at Monash University that would send out flyers and statistics about the um, impacts of climate change and, and environmental actions. Um, and there was an emphasis that everybody could just do their bit to help the planet. This was in the late 1990s. And so by the time I started studying for masters in social work over 20 years later, I had just assumed that this message would have been integrated into practice, but it wasn't. Um, so there seemed to be this belief among the other uh, social work students that uh, the profession was about fixing individuals so they could be fit into the function uh, of the current system. But luckily I met some social work educators such as Jenny Boddy who introduced me to environmental and green social work, um, which was a space I felt that I could grow into in a more realistic way to do social work. Yeah, very interesting, Sylvia. I'm particularly interested to hear of your long-term interest and fondness for the natural world. It's a recurring theme for a number of our guests in this series, and it ties in with now well-established psychology research that links the depth and breadth of the physical environmental values held by people to the duration of their experience of the natural world from childhood onwards. And the good news, particularly coming out of that increasing body of research, is around this idea of nature connectedness. The nature connectedness field suggests that a closer psychological and emotional engagement between people and nature can be developed at any age and whatever the previous degree of nature exposure of, exposure of the individual. I know that the concept of uh, nature connectedness is of interest to you, and I think you'll be saying something about eco-social work topics that align with that concept a bit later on. But for now, let's go to some specific questions about eco-social work practice itself. So question one, Sylvia, let's set the scene by asking, what for you does eco-social work practice mean in 2021? What are some of its key ideas, principles and approaches in your view? When I think of eco-social work, I think firstly of authors like Fred Besson, who wrote about deep ecological social work. Um, this is a perspective that recognises that social workers, well, all humans, have a responsibility to care for the environment and protect it. To recognise that the natural world is inherently valuable in the same way that we accept a human being is inherently valuable. It's a value that is not dependent on the use of nature for humans. Um, and I would like to think that this way of viewing the world is in alignment with the views of many First Nations peoples. They talk about the earth as a mother and other life forms as our eco-kin. Um, there were a few authors like Val Plumwood and Catherine Gillespie that really helped me to understand how a lot of the views I'd absorbed as a child came from a colonialist perspective. Um, that worships an aggressive individual white masculinity. Feminist and anti-oppressive anti -oppressive critiques um, that this perspective is damaging to humans is already really widely accepted. But I feel we need to also include insights from First Nations peoples that highlight how damaging this aggressive competitive individualism is to our own ecosystem. So if we start to think of the world from the perspective of the ecosystem as being at the centre, it becomes obvious to start to add the dimension of the natural environment back into our assessments and our interventions. 
it's like a less anthropocentric perspective and humans are not the center of everything it's a kind of paradigm shift that changes how one sees the world i think if we are to live up to our ethical obligation to work in a culturally sensitive manner with Australian First Nations people, we need to be able to understand this perspective. Uh, I think that this view of social work, including ecological awareness, is becoming more widespread in the profession. We have some great Australian authors in the field of eco-social work, like Peter Jones, Naomi Godden, and Heather Bertio, who are adding an Australian perspective to the field. Internationally, there's authors like Michaela Rinkle and Meredith Powers, who I mentioned specifically because they have edited three books that are available to download for free from the IFSW's website. Um, these books have a great collection of chapters written by authors from all around the world on the subject of eco-social work. However, when I think about the environment and social work, I also always think of Lena Dominelli and her work in the field of green social work, which really makes clear how environmental degradation and climate change is a social justice issue. She pointed out how people in poor countries receive less support when dealing with natural disasters such as floods and droughts, and those who are discriminated against due to their race, religion, or by being female are more likely to miss out on any help that is given. If weather patterns change, such as like as climate change scientists predict, the extremes are going to become more exacerbated and it's these people who are already facing discrimination and disadvantage that are likely to suffer the most. Areas that are dry are likely to receive less rainfall. Areas prone to storms and flooding are likely to face more of these events and at a greater magnitude. Given that many people in the poorest nations rely on agriculture, either as a, crash, as a cash crop or as um, subsistence farming, changes to weather like this is really likely to reduce their ability to support themselves. Um, of course, it's not just between countries that the injustice will be exacerbated, but in, in, in the countries too. For example, in Australia, people who face discrimination in society will likely be least able to move away from polluted areas or, or areas that are subject to flooding. They are less likely to live in homes that can be kept at a comfortable temperature all year round. They are likely to have less resources to enable them to rebuild after a bushfire or a flood. Um, this view of the natural world is anthropocentric. It still focuses on humans, but I think it's an easy concept for some social workers who were trained and have practised in human-centric ways to understand. Um, it makes sense from the sort of white Australian dominant cultural perspective. Um, and I know that there's this tendency for people to want to put ideas in boxes and to label these ideas and compare them as opposites. But I think it's more helpful to see these as points in a continuum. Ecological social work does not deny that there's inequality and injustice caused by environmental degradation. And I think once a person starts to think about how influential the natural world is um, and how the, the value of it beyond its utility to humans becomes apparent, um, I think it is easier to comprehend how we are part of a natural system and, and that nature um, is, is important to humans. 
So I like to think of these perspectives as different paths towards the same place, which is a more environmentally sustainable future. Yeah, Sylvia, I like the idea of multiple pathways into eco-social forms of practice. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, this podcast series will provide listeners with a broad spectrum of ideas connected to those pathways. Uh, from basic definitions of eco-social work to current examples of such work on the ground, which builds on and extends existing mainstream frameworks and approaches, and then also onto a more critical and transformative set of reflections on where and how the mainstream profession needs to transition in the future if it's to play its fair and proportionate part in helping tackle multiple physical environment and closely connected social justice challenges that we're facing already. But look, just coming back to what you talked about there, you touched there upon a number of themes, it seems to me, relevant to an eco-social work lens onto social work practice, for want of a better term. For instance, you drew upon interdisciplinary perspectives from philosophy, ecology, and sociology to better understand and critique the effects of, for instance, colonialism and patriarchy onto our clients. The strong importance of indigenous worldviews and knowledges to help us develop a more holistic, nature-centered understanding of our relationship with the natural world and our needed obligations of wise stewardship toward it if we are to help maintain its life-giving vitality and ability to nurture and sustain human society in the long term, which, after all, is one of the definitions of what sustainability means. I mean, several of your ideas, interestingly, also um, that you've just mentioned, have been echoed by other guests in this podcast series to date. I mean, if nothing else, pointing to the collective and consolidated body of eco-social work practice knowledge and wisdom that is continuing to gather momentum in this country and elsewhere. And just to name drop a few here, um, we have Dr. Heather Boato and Dr. Peter Jones, both of whom you mentioned there in the existing Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series already. So listeners can, if they want to, check out the overlap of their perspectives with some of yours. Okay, so let's now further sharpen the discussion by turning to a question of practical application of eco-social work ideas. And I include this because it's the sort of question which can come up in discussion with, for example, colleagues when one mentions a personal interest in eco-social work practice. From your perspective, how can eco-social work intervention contribute to tackling the serious and growing physical environmental problems which are of crucial importance to the future health and well-being of us all, but often with even greater importance for social work clients? So I'm referring here again to the huge problems posed by global heating, associated climate disruption and its impacts, and the current massive loss of natural places and wildlife, amongst other serious physical environmental challenges we face. So what do you think eco-social work interventions can bring to tackling such problems in practical, on-the-ground terms? I think uh, social work is such a broad profession. We um, pride ourselves as being able to make change at all levels. Uh, social workers belong in Parliament, um, shaping our future through policy and leadership. Um, as you know, Andrew Bartlett was trained as a social worker um, and there are other parliamentarians at other levels of government as well with social work backgrounds. Um, social workers can also make great leaders in organisations where they can set organisational policy. And I'd hope that there are social workers that aspire to these sorts of roles to shape our, our world through the channels of power but uh, there's other things we can do too. So social workers are trained to think critically about ideas, to apply different perspectives, 
and to understand when a claim has strong evidence, weak evidence or no evidence at all. Um, our profession is familiar with like radical theories that question the dominant discourse to understand that powerful people with vested interests have promoted ideas that are not true. For example, that solar and wind energy technology is not developed enough or is too expensive or that even the environmental crisis is just a conspiracy of far-left radicals. Um, social workers can apply their critical skills to unpack conspiracy theories that are not true and challenge media and public figures that promote such misinformation. But we're also really skilled at helping people to understand and come to terms with difficult truths. Accepting that the planet our only home is threatened is a really difficult truth. It is more comfortable to deny this reality or to put the responsibility for change onto somebody else. Uh, social workers are able to listen and use techniques like Socratic questioning to gently encourage people to examine assumptions they have made. Um, it's not really about proving that people are wrong or less valuable because the, of what they believe, we, we begin by developing that rapport and um, modelling respectful listening so people can listen and respect that others have different truths and then enter into an exploration of why people hold the views they do. Sometimes this change is going to need to begin with changing the view of one's managers and colleagues in the workplace rather than looking to change the clients that you're working with. Um, sometimes, of course, social workers are in positions where they don't have a lot of time or the job requires a narrow focus. Something that social workers in this situation can do is to just model environmentally sustainable life choices, demonstrating that you as a professional believe that the environment is important. Um, this can be done by keeping a kick cup cycling rather than driving, not eating meat, uh, but it can also be conveyed by the context. For example, putting up some posters with an environmental theme. It's really common, say, when you go to the hospital or the doctor, and Andrew, but when I go, there's lots of magazines about fashion and buying clothes and, and consumption, um, and they're everywhere. So why not put a few pamphlets around for the local environment? Um, and sort of have an alternative view to this consumption-based um, dominant, dominance everywhere. Um, something very interesting that was supported by research and has also been found by others was that involving clients in activities that care for nature or for animals um, often improves the psychological and social well-being of those clients. So it's uh, provided people with a purpose and a sense of pride. Um, sometimes this was the motivation to keep going when other basic needs like housing or personal relationships were rocky. Um, and the organisations I was researching uh, were not in a position to provide solutions like affordable housing, they weren't trained in mental health or anything. Uh, they provided a purpose and a place to belong, and, and this was helpful to people. Again, Sylvia, thanks for that. I mean, I think that that was a great overview of certain social work roles, methods, and approaches. And just to echo your comments, I mean, 
some of those ways of working all, all exist. Well, in fact, they all exist already in mainstream practice and can also be directly applied in eco-social work interventions. In a way, your comments also help reinforce the point that eco-social work practice is social work practice. It's not some niche specialism, but rather it's a form of practice that incorporates the best traditions of mainstream work, transformative stance, critical thinking, client-centered inquiry, building rapport, empathic listening, and client advocacy. The list could go on, and it does. Put another way, perhaps, eco-social work is obliging the mainstream profession to consider urgently recalibrating its foundational metaphor of person in social environment to incorporate fully and systematically the long-missing crucial element of the physical environment into that metaphor. This topic is well covered by another guest in this series, Dr. Roz Darakot. So, Sylvia, here we have the basis for a vital call to action, it seems to me, around physical environmental challenges for the mainstream social work profession, which, you know, we both personally support. I know that from previous conversations with you also. But we also both know that some of our colleagues in the Australian mainstream may not be so enthused about or be ambivalent on this topic for a range of reasons. I mean, you've just hinted at that in your previous comments. So let me ask a provocative crunch question at this point, which I put to all guests just to reinforce this point around the relevance of eco-social work approaches. Why should the mainstream social work profession in this country or elsewhere come to that become increasingly involved with the sort of physical environmental problems and challenges we have just been discussing? Well, if one believes human beings are valuable, then there is no choice. Unless we start to care about preserving the ecosystem, the system that enables us to grow food, that provides the air we breathe, then the earth will change and become hostile to human life. Well, I, I couldn't agree more there. So that was succinct and to the point. But just to unpack this idea a little further for listeners, and this is, all again, based on previous conversations we've had, uh, because we've had several running up to this podcast interview. My interpretation of your comments are that we must understand that the pursuit of environmental justice to achieve a safe and healthy natural world is closely intertwined with the ability to achieve social justice and well-being outcomes for already marginalised clients, individuals and communities who are disproportionately and increasingly being impacted by the effects of human-induced physical environmental change, such as global heating, climate disruption and water insecurity, to name just three. And ultimately, unless we halt and reverse our environmental destruction, we shall all, clients and professionals, be experiencing an increasingly uninhabitable planet. So let's now take our shared consensus and apply it to some future thinking. I'm a fan of the concept of encouraging prefigurative change and using processes such as visioning of preferred futures and backcasting to help develop change strategies or different narratives around human progress. Um, building on the comments that you've made so far, here's the question. What do you think the future could hold for eco-social work interventions as a body of practice within the social work mainstream in Australia over the next two to 10 years? Well, what I'm hoping for is that mainstream social work will become what we call eco-social work today. So care for the environment will become integrated to the extent that um, we ex that like at the moment we accept growth and the profit paradigm it will become the de default mind setting again to care about 
the environment and nature and the ecosystem. I like the idea of mainstream social work one day having, you know, fully absorbed and, and incorporated the contemporary eco-social work turn. I mean, one of my previous guests in this series said that, for instance, putting a hyphen into the term eco-social work reminded her that the prefix eco would one day no longer be needed to differentiate this form of practice because it would have been subsumed into the mainstream and become mainstream. I suppose for me, a crucial subsidiary question here then becomes, but how long will such a mainstream professional transition take? I mean, many converging lines of evidence outside of social work point to the next 10 years as being the crucial decade for action, which can provide us the best chance to achieve a safe and stable climate, for instance, across the remainder of the century and to start to restore the appalling damage we've done to natural world and natural systems. Um, that recognition that we have to start to reverse the destruction of nature that's been going on in lockstep with global heating and climate disruption over at least the last 30 years. Both of those major problem areas have massive implications for future health and well-being of all human and other species. And surely it's crucial that all sectors of society, including the professions and therefore including social work, make a fair and proportionate contribution towards solving those problems. And furthermore, it seems to me, and I, I, I'd ask your views on this, that, that a fair and proportionate physical environmental response is required of our profession. And that's, that's a key social and environmental justice challenge in itself, it seems to me, the way that the actual profession responds to these challenges. At any rate, Sylvia, your comments and those of our other guests in this podcast series are helping to develop an exciting verbal vision of future opportunities for Australian eco-social work practice and the specific contribution it may be able to make toward tackling some of those physical environmental challenges we have mentioned over the next 10 years and beyond. And as we come to the end of this interview, I know you have some of your own ideas about how social workers can help them make that vision an increasing reality over that period. So finally, Sylvia, let's just you know unpack this a little bit further, ask you, do you have a short take-home message, one or two key ideas from our conversation today that helps sum up your particular take on the subject of eco-social work practice in Australia in 2021 and beyond? Well, Andrew, I'm going to assume people who listen to this podcast may be at different parts of their journey towards being an eco-social worker. For those already on this journey, I wish you the strength to keep going, to continue on whatever ways you can to challenge the current paradigm. I hope you find the resilience to keep going despite resistance and discriminatory views of other people. Um, but for those of you who have not yet begun, perhaps start with yourself. It's great that you've begun to seek out knowledge by listening to a podcast like this one. Uh, continue to seek out knowledge about how to change your show, yourself and also look to share your journey with those around you, not just social workers but friends and family and those from other professions. Sharing your efforts will help to enforce that caring for the environment is vital. Sylvia, thank you for that, and that completes the interview. It's been rewarding to talk with you today, and I'm confident, as you've just implied, that uh, you've given our audience valuable ideas which could help inform their own thinking, help them start their own conversations and possible collaborations around the subject of eco-social work adoption with their friends, colleagues, within employing organisations and their professional associations. But for now, it just remains for me on behalf of Householders Options to Protect the Environment to thank you so much for your involvement today.
Thank you for inviting me. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia, produced for Householders' Options to Protect the Environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.